Hello and welcome to the Millennial Minimalist Podcast. I am your host, Kelly Foss, and together with my co-host, Lauren Morley, our mission is to help you simplify your life and live with greater intention. Together, let's live more with less. Hi, everyone. Today, we are talking about how to let go and find simplicity in a time of overwhelm. And to lead this conversation, I am joined by holistic writing coach, yoga and meditation teacher, podcaster, and author of the book, Come Home to Your Heart, the lovely Nadine Kenny Johnstone. Nadine and her small family were inspired to let go of the majority of their possessions and the place they once thought would be their forever home to design a more fulfilling lifestyle with less. And in this discussion, Nadine shares the process of making decisions about what to keep and let go of and how her and her family began to build a more fulfilling every day. Nadine specifically talks about how she gained greater clarity around her career path and the courage to no longer wait until retirement to enjoy her life. Plus, she discusses the importance of slowing down to help us find peace amidst the fears and uncertainties that can show up in our lives. You will learn about several simplicity practices that you can apply to your life to help you slow down, let go of excess things, and keep yourself centered and accountable. Be inspired to step back and pursue the goals and experiences that are closest to your heart. I actually want to give our listeners a little bit of a background. So Nadine kindly interviewed Lauren and I. So we shared our story to simplicity, and now I am so excited to share your journey to living with less. And to start off today, I'm hoping you can share your story, including the experiences with your family even, that inspired you to really let go of the excess things in your life and learn to live with less. I would love to. So... It all started in 2020, as uh, it does for many people, a big life change. I was a professor at a university. I'd been teaching creative writing for 13 years, and my husband had an office job as well, and my son was in school, and we lived about an hour and 15 minutes from my university in Chicago. So we lived in a suburb that was about an hour and 15 minutes from the university. And we were both commuting quite a lot, my husband and I, to our city jobs. And so we were spending about 10 to 12 hours a week minimum just with the commute for work. And when the pandemic hit and both of our jobs went remote, we suddenly gained back those 10 to 12 hours every week. And I had been coaching women writers on the side. It's something that I loved. I was helping them get published. I was helping them think of their book ideas and then turn them into actual books and guide them through the publishing process. So it was really fulfilling. And suddenly with this open space that the lack of commute opened up, I started getting clearer on what I wanted to do professionally. And while I loved teaching at the university, I most loved working with these women writers. And so just in kind of a life uh, minimalism, that taking away of the commute allowed for spaciousness around job clarity. So I had it in my mind that, hmm, I think I'm going to transition this coaching thing into a more full-time thing and going remote allowed for that transition to begin. So in the midst of that, 
a few other things happened. So we were living in our home in Illinois, which by the way, we had called our forever home when we purchased it. And we had just lived in it for about two years before the pandemic hit. It was a lovely home, spacious home. It was on a little lake. It was beautiful and nature corridor. But when the pandemic hit and winter was really, really difficult because we not only couldn't be with loved ones, but it was hard getting out and about. We would go to this one forest preserve and go for snowy hikes, but we felt very trapped. And we started thinking about this lifelong dream that we had had to eventually retire to warmer weather. So suddenly we started thinking about well, where could could we go and could we speed that up? Do we have to wait until retirement? So, so the wheels started turning with that. And then add on to that, my father was diagnosed with cancer in 2020 and he had worked really hard his entire life and was excited for retirement and then was diagnosed at age 56. And so suddenly all of his plans were now on hold and it started making us question if we should put off our big dreams or if we should try to uh, harness them sooner. And so we bought an old Airstream camper and went on these little weekend road trips where all we took with us was a backpack of clothes. And we lived very simply during those weekends. We would sit around the fire with our son and talk. We would play games. We would laugh. We would cuddle up together because there wasn't much space in the camper. You know, like I have a fond memory of us eating cherry pie, sitting in the bed together, which acted as a couch and just watching a little, a movie on like a tiny screen. And it was so cozy. We did not need much. And it started getting us thinking about, well, could we do longer term in a camper? So to bring this story together, basically in 2021, we sold our home. We went full-time in the Airstream and we changed our jobs. And then sadly also, my father was doing worse than we knew with his cancer and he passed away. And so it almost felt even more of a responsibility to live out the dreams that he couldn't. And mm-hmm. so we went on our way into doing three months in a 27-foot Airstream camper <laughs> with three people, two dogs, and a betta fish wow. <laughs> and not much stuff. And that was the beginning truly of like true, true physical minimalism. Wow. Well, there's two things there that come to mind. Number one is it's interesting how a lot of people, we we say one day we will do this one day mm-hmm. when I get my life sorted. Why not now? Mm-hmm. If not now, when, right? It goes back to that quote. And it's interesting also how you remember all these little stories with your family and how you really showcase the importance of experiences over things. Mm-hmm. You were really living that. And it's something that Lauren and I love to tell our listeners, you know, really invest in all the experiences that bring you a lot of joy versus buying excess things that are usually going to be collecting dust and you might even forget about them, right? Now, this is such an interesting story. When you first told me this, I was like, that is amazing. The idea of selling your home and living in an Airstream camper for three months 
with dogs and your husband and your son. That is amazing. So I'm curious in that process, what were some of the items that you realized, you know, I don't really need this or I can live without this or, or what weren't you using? Yeah. We each gave ourselves a duffel bag to bring for the road trip. And I had stocked mine with many different layers of clothing because I get cold easily. And so I had so many pieces of clothing. I wore the same five outfits the entire three months, essentially. (laughs) And of what I didn't miss of the things that we had sold or packed away, so much. First of all, home decor items. Like I love design and I realized I didn't miss much of the home decor stuff at all. I also didn't need like beauty projects. I didn't wear makeup the entire summer. I don't think I once blow dried my hair. I mean, I not that I don't do that a ton anyways, regardless, but it's like none of that stuff mattered. And it truly was this, the the knickknacks, the things that surround your eyes on a daily basis, you do not miss. And even with our son, we told him rather than a souvenir, a physical souvenir in each spot that we stay overnight in, that mm-hmm. you can get a sticker. And we gave him one piece of poster board. And we said, this is your souvenir collector. You can get a sticker from each place. You pick out the sticker. And by the end of the summer, he had the Johnstone family road trip board, which he now has in his room. It's one of his coveted items. And it has all the stickers of all the places that we've ever gone. And it takes up you know, an eighth of an inch or whatever, like it's so skinny, but it just takes up, you know, a little bit of space on the wall and that's it rather than a a physical souvenir from every room. Wow. That is such a good idea. Oh, I love that so much. Now I'm curious, keeping in mind that you got rid of three quarters of the stuff in your home. What was that process like? Was it challenging to let go of certain items or was it much easier? Were there one or two items that you can think of that you just remember thinking, oh, I don't know. And how did you work through those feelings? Yeah. Okay. Uh, The start of it was just that we realized, well, the home that we had was a larger home just in terms, I I don't know, I think it was like 2,400 square feet, which Mm -hmm. if you've ever lived in a city apartment, that does feel huge, right? So, and it was that large because we had hoped to have family visit and stay all the time, which wasn't happening with the pandemic. So it was like, out of all this stuff that we are going to be packing up, the, the literal pack up made us question, we're paying for every bit of square footage of storage for our things when we go on this road trip. So every item made us question, is it worth paying for storage? Mm -hmm. Will we use it again? And it did a, a very clarifying process for us. And we, we started getting rid of things. It was kind of like this, if you have not used it in the past year, it's not coming with us as we move forward, right? And deciding what you're going to take on a three-month road trip really helps you understand what you cherish and what's important to you. And so it was just a lot of functional items that we took with us. And, And when we were thinking about going into the camper, I think that the one thing 
two things that I felt torn about was that I love photos and I love books. So all this other stuff we got rid of, I could have cared less. Like I was like, Mm. why do we have seven vases? Why do we, I, if I ever use a vase, I use one vase. Why do we have seven of them? You know, it was always, it was just everything in, in so much excess. So many of the things I didn't blink about getting rid of, but then when it came down to books, how does a writer (laughs) choose which books are coming? And then as I was storing them, you know, am I going to really truly keep all of these? Do I need all of these? But then photographs too. I love having visible representations of all of our memories. But in the camper, there's, you don't hang things, you know, it'll just fall when you're in motion. And so we didn't have any photos, but it, it's not like the memories went away, you know? So, and we were making more memories. So, so I eventually got over that, but I, I think what I missed out of everything was, was books and, and also I missed our trampoline. <laughs> mm. I used to jump on the trampoline with my son all the time. And I, I wished we could like bring it with us everywhere we went because it was a container of magic for us, honestly. Oh. My husband didn't didn't miss most of the stuff we got rid of, but he's a chef at heart. He's a trained chef. And so he was like, man, I wish I had that good saute pan. And, and our son was a little harder with him because he loves all his toys. But we said, okay, you have one bin. What mm-hmm. can you fit in here? And so for him, it was Legos and books, you know? And so he missed, of course, like some art supplies. He's super artsy. He didn't touch those Legos that much though when we were on the road because we were busy hiking and having campfires and exploring and being in the water it's like eventually once that bandaid is ripped off, you get used to not having it. And then you really wonder, did I even need it in the first place? It's amazing to hear that your husband and your son were very receptive to this. Hey, please fit all of your items in a bin, collect the things that are most essential to you. Now I'm curious when it came to your photographs, did you take pictures of those? How did you manage the hardship that came with letting those go. Yeah. Now I do, there is a caveat with that. The the important photos we still had in storage. So, (laughs) so it was like, there were ones that I was not going to get rid of. Right. But in terms of them on the road with us, what we would do is if we ever wanted to do some reminiscing, we would cuddle up in the bed together and we would scroll through the photos on our phone. Like we were looking through a photo album, you know, it was like, that was our, that was our physical representation of everything. It was captured there. It's a really good challenge to say, hey, I'm going to live without the majority of my stuff for a little bit. What are my favorite items? What are my favorite clothing items? What are my favorite things that I can bring with me, right? And then you Mm -hmm. realize that a lot of the secondary items you don't really need or care about as much, right? That's Mm -hmm. so fascinating. I, I can't imagine having a home full of stuff and bringing that down to one quarter of the size. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. You realize what's most essential and what's not. Mm -hmm. Now, also in this process, how did this 
excess, the removal of excess help you mentally? How did it relieve some mental stress along the way as well? Or how did it inspire you to clear the excess from other areas of your life? Mm -hmm. I think what it made very clear is what I value is not things, it's experiences. And what I value is not things, but space. The the thing that bothered me the the most on the road was actually not missing any of the physical items. It was missing space, physical space, because when you have twenty seven feet to live in, uh, <laughs> you that you're working out of, cooking out of, living out of. If it's a rainy day, you start to go, oh shoot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So what I realized, I was like, okay, at the end of this, in the future, what what do I need? And it's like, okay, well, I realized that I literally just need a separate space to do my work in, but I don't need the objects within the, the within the space. I don't need a bunch of bulletin boards and everything else and file organizer. I had stacks and stacks of lessons that I had taught and handouts for all of that. I haven't, I haven't needed it at all since then. It's, it's in here or it's on Mm -hmm. my computer in here, meaning my brain or on the computer. And it's like, oh, what I really truly craved by the end of this summer was just delineated space so that I could work separately from where I slept or that my son wasn't playing within an inch of my workspace or something like that. I just craved space. And and I know that you and Lauren talk a lot about just the spaciousness that does open up when we start to declutter. And for me, it was going, okay, well, while I craved indoor space, what I got from my road trip was a heck of a lot outdoor space. And what we started realizing is that we were living according to the cycles and and whims of nature. So if it was rainy, that designated all of our activities for the day. That meant, oh, that's the day we're going to go to that museum or that coffee shop and do an indoor activity, or we're going to go to the local library. If, If the sun came out that day, it was like, uh, we're going to ditch our work plans and we're going to go to the beach because this is the first sunny day we've had in five days. Yeah. And so it made us much more flexible around how we lived our lives because we had to be at the whims of nature, which was really cool. I've never, nature was always a backdrop. Uh, teaching at a university in Chicago, it's like you're teaching no matter what the weather is outside. Mm-hmm. When you're on the road, you're living according to nature. I can only imagine that being outside of your comfort zone in this scenario for three months, you must have felt some type of high is my assumption. I find that when I leave my comfort zone and I go on a road trip or if I'm without a lot of the stuff that I really cling on to, gosh, I feel so happy and refreshed. Did you have those feelings? What did you feel like in those moments? I mean, you were really focused on experiences over things. And I find that in those moments, you really find yourself and really appreciate the things around you. And you have these, this sense of gratefulness and you feel more spiritual. Yeah. So it was interesting. All the things that I thought the road trip was going to be like, it wasn't. And all the things I didn't know it was going to be like, it was. So 
you have in your mind when you plan a road trip, what you're going to see and what you'll encounter and how it's going to be. And then it surprises you. And think about how often in life you have surprises these days on any given basis. It's like so many of us are stuck in our routines that maybe we get a surprising email, but we don't have any many big surprises anymore. And, you know, as someone who is a parent and a partner, you know, you fall into very typical routines that create stability, which is great, but also lacks surprises. And so we would show up at a place and all the research we had done did not prepare us for the magnificence of the place. Like I'll never forget, we went to Acadia in Maine and I had no idea the sort of beautiful tide pools um, that would be right outside our camper. We had an oceanfront spot to the tide pools. And we spent hours and hours just going out and looking at the starfish that are revealed when the tide goes out and you have these tide pools and you get to see all the little creatures and critters, the hermit crabs. And it's like, I was watching my son like giddy with delight, right? And my husband who grew up on the East coast going, buddy, this was my childhood. This is what we used to do. And I'm sitting there witnessing it all. And I'm hopping on my paddleboard and I'm paddling around them and just taking in this amazing world. And I'm going, well, this isn't your average Tuesday, you know, it's just yes. like, those were like the high kind of moments. And what, what did they consist of nature and my family? That's it. Right. And okay. A, a paddleboard is a thing. Did I need it? No, I could have still even loved that moment without it. And the thing about that paddleboard is that it's inflatable. So it can deflate and take up about two feet of space. Right. So right. You, you learn to really just value these precious moments. And then on the flip side, it's important to note that the, the road trip brought high highs, but it also brings a big test to you as a person because it's like if I'm a creature of routine and I like sometimes routine and stability and on the road you have none. (laughs) So you have to create your own routines and rituals so that you don't start getting itchy. Just some kind of loose plan and that helps you feel okay. Yeah. And keeping in mind you and your husband had career changes along the way as well. And so you had the time and space to work or the opportunity to work from the camper, right? So Mm -hmm. you were a professor and now you're a holistic writing coach. You help women get published, which is amazing. And that also involves setting your own boundaries, right? Working for yourself, but it's amazing that you're able to find space in this lifestyle that gave you the opportunity to redirect your career direction. Now, I'm I'm really curious about the moment that you realize, hey, like, I want to change my lifestyle. I want to, I've always loved writing. I've done this on the side for some time now. What was the moment you realized, okay, I'm going to do this full throttle and same for your husband? Yeah. In the winter of 2020, before the pandemic, I just had this inkling that I wanted to update my website and also make it so that um, what I was realizing is that 
I was spending a lot of time going and presenting at conferences as a writer and a writing coach. And that took time away with my family. And it also, not all of the conferences were always fully covered. So they might give you a stipend, but you're paying for your plane ticket. And it just felt like, am I gaining the most out of this or can I invite people to my own workshops. Why Why do I have to go? Why can I not invite? So I hired a web designer around February 2020 to kind of help me figure out how I could host my own stuff, create my own shop on my website, and do things that allowed me more time with my family and more control over my own career, which was lucky insight uh, or foresight when I didn't know that everything would change in March of 2020. So I think within that that year of 2020 to 2021, when I started teaching my own online workshops, I created a community of women writers. We would meet on Zoom every Monday, and we still do. We're three and a half years now going strong. We meet every Monday. I give prompts and craft talks, and then we have time to write together. It was so going so swimmingly and was filling such a need and a void during a time of deep loneliness where creatives were disconnected and uninspired and afraid, but it just felt so good. And it was taking off so much that it started, that my professor job started feeling like my part-time job. Wow. (laughs) Like this, this thing that I loved, but that was kind of getting in the way of what I, (laughs) this other thing that I was doing. And then when we started talking about living elsewhere, I realized that I would have to cut the cord once we went back to in person. I would have, like, if we were living in a different state, how is that going to work? And so it was about like a year, a, a year or so of just realizing, okay, this, this business is thriving and I, and I can step away from my professor job. So in, in the summer of 2020, as we were going on our road trip, I, I let my university know what that, uh, you know, I was going off on my own and we would be moving eventually and we were going to be on the road. And so that's one way to kind of like, it was like, there's no going back now. <laughs> you just have to try it. It's, it's motivating to hear your story because I know a lot of our listeners are still trying to figure out what they want to do, or maybe they have something in the back of their minds that's like, oh, I really want to pursue that, or I want to have the flexibility to work from home. So I love hearing this story. Now, when it comes to your writing, again, you help women develop their writing, get published, but also write down their thoughts and manage the fears and uncertainties that come with that. So I'm curious, how do you help your writers simplify their writing process and also sustain effective focus? So it really comes down to accountability, deadlines. I know you you know all about accountability. Accountability and deadlines and, and creating a structure that stops the second guessing, which is really our greatest enemy because I've seen the most talented writers in the world that I went to you know, uh, grad school with or took wonderful workshops with as a participant. I've seen talented writers who they are crippled by the critic in their brains, the second guesser and the comparison culture. And so the the world is void of their amazing work because they've spent so much time letting everything get in the way of it. So with the women that I work with, 
I create a sense of self-ownership. So when we're going to meet, you know, they have to have their pages ready to go for us to look at together. When they're participating in workshop, they know that they're part of a group and a community and their energy affects that community. So if they don't show up and they're Mm -hmm. not ready with their pages and they're not giving good feedback, that would affect the whole group. So it's like just signing up for coaching or workshop gives their commitment the message or gives their creativity the commitment message that I care about you. I'm I'm prioritizing you right now. And so when we work together, we do a lot of <clears throat> really effective uh, strategizing. Like I have a class called Publish the Personal and it's about publishing personal essays and the people in that group have gotten like nine of them now have gotten published in the New York Times and they're in the Boston Globe and they're everywhere. But what we do is we get together, we study a magazine, we write specifically an article or essay for that magazine. And then as a community, they all have to submit, take a screenshot of their submission and share it via email with the group. So it's peer pressure. (laughs) Essentially, I just run by peer pressure, (laughs) but, but truly it's the accountability. And then we do something together. It's, it's honestly, it's called, I call it brave days, but on brave days, it's all about doing rather than thinking. So whatever place you've been wanting to pitch anyone you've been wanting to say, have on your podcast or something, all the creatives in that group on that day is like an implementation day. We just have to do the thing and we have to show each other proof of doing the thing so that we can't scare ourselves out of it. And it really shushes the second guessing. Mm, I love that. I just recently interviewed Leo Babauta. He's a Mm -hmm. top 25 blogger. He has the blog zenhabits.net. And I was telling him, I, I want to start writing a book and it's very challenging though, because mentally you're like, oh no, you can't, or, or, oh, it's not going to be good enough. I'm such a perfectionist. And he goes, I didn't know how to write a book. And he's written so many books. And he says, just open a word doc, just open a sheet in the drive and just start writing. Even if that's 10, 20 minutes a day. And he says that he wrote his recent book because he had a friend who held him accountable. They would just go on zoom they would have the video off and they would both write for an hour. And at the end of the hour, they would both say hello and then exit just to keep each other accountable, which I thought was really, yes. really, really interesting. That's um, what we do every Monday. The I call it my writer workout community. We gather together. I give a craft talk, like I show a published model. Here is how an amazing author did this. And then I'll say, okay, here are the tools for your toolbox as a result. Like think about this from a writer's standpoint. How did they do what they did? And then, okay, now your turn. And I'll say, using those tools and using these prompts, ready, go. And we're going to write for 25 to 30 minutes. And so we are all writing. And then at the end of it, we have optional breakout groups where they, the women get together, they share a paragraph or two of their work out loud really quickly. Again, just as accountability, but the forced deadline and the force we must write together right now creates no room for the second guesser because you just have to do Mm -hmm. the thing. And if anyone out there is wanting to write and has this deep sense of writer's block, 
I always write my stories like a movie in my mind before I write them on the paper. So Mm -hmm. I often teach a scene development visualization, almost kind of meditation, where with the women in my group, we visualize the stories in our mind first. I'll say, see the setting, zoom in, zoom out. Okay, what's in a character's pocket? I mean, we're seeing it like a movie. So by the time we write it on the page, it's so fully formed. They can't say, oh, I have writer's block. You just saw it in your brain. Now you just have to brain dump it. Mm, mm, Gosh, I love that so much. Also, you have a book called Come Home to Your Heart, which is amazing. And in it, you have several prompts for your readers, but you also challenge your readers to declutter mentally and emotionally. And I'm hoping you can share an example or two for our listeners. So the book has 28 chapters. So essentially you could, each chapter is like a mini retreat. So it's a guided journal and it's all about tapping into our innate wisdom and and essentially falling back in love with ourselves. So you can do one a day for four weeks, right? Or you could just flip at random, but each chapter has a story from my own life and then prompts and then a see yourself exercise, which sometimes is like a letter to self. Everything's different in each chapter, but that's the general structure. And so the stories I tell kind of help with the prompts. And one of them that I thought a lot about for, you know, minimalism in particular is one about finding new shells. So when my son was little, I used to read him a book called House for Hermit Crab. And it was about this crab who outgrows his shell and he has to go and find a new shell. But it's so hard because as he's been living in his shell, barnacles have attached to it and sea anemones have gone around it. And so he's made friends, but also developed some clutter around his shell. And then he has to abandon it and then go look for a new shell every time he outgrows it. And what do you know? I was thinking about this as we were in the tide pools in Maine at Acadia State Park. And I'm going, okay, well, We don't have a home anymore. We live in an airstream. I'm not a professor anymore. I've started this business. Where are we going to live? What state are we going to live in? What will we continue with this track professionally? Where will my son go to school? It's like I was that naked hermit crab. (laughs) Where's my new shell? But at the same time, it was helpful to realize that the shell that I had had previously did not fit any more. And so I have a chapter in here about physically kind of drawing the shells that you occupy right now and going, which ones don't fit anymore? Which ones have you outgrown? doesn't mean they're bad. You've just outgrown them in certain ways. They feel too tight, constrictive, ill-fitting. This could be in work, relationships, life, where you live, any of those things. And then what does that new shell look like? What do you want it to look like? How do you want to feel in that new shell? Oh, well, I want to feel peaceful. I want to feel expansive. I want to feel excited. Okay, Mm -hmm. well, what in your life would help you feel the way you want to feel? What life choices? So as I was sitting there in Maine, looking at my son, collecting these actual hermit crabs, thinking about the hermit crab and thinking literally and metaphorically about shells that don't fit, there was such a stripped down version that felt so good where I was like, I may not know where I'm going next, but I've left behind everything that 
doesn't fit anymore. And even though it's scary, it is very, Mm -hmm. very freeing because here on out, I get to choose and decide. So that's an exercise in the book. I love this. It's, you know, you are lacking a foundation in those Mm -hmm. moments, which can be so scary. But when you speak of shells, I think you had a shell of a home at one point, but that Mm -hmm. didn't fit anymore. It wasn't making you fully happy. And there's Mm -hmm. so many different changes in your life that you came to the realization that, gosh, there's another way to live and I can live that way now. But in the Mm -hmm. process, there's a lot of challenges that come along the way and there's a lot to work through. And those are those other shells. There's the up and down moments, but you stayed level-headed and you realize, hey, I have to go through this in order to get here to this new Mm -hmm. shell. And I love that analogy. It's so great. And I've been listening to your podcast. Uh, It's called Heart of the Story. And first of all, your voice is so calming. But a lot of your stories are so powerful because I find that they're relatable and I'm so excited for our listeners to check out your podcast. You have a recent episode called the power of simplicity in overwhelming times. And I don't think I've ever related to a podcast more. I've been Mm -hmm. in those moments, especially on my, my journey to minimalism where there's been a lot of ups and downs, but it's been so worth it to get to this other side. And in that episode, you talk about the fears of going through this and not having a foundation and trying to get to the other side, all the uncertainties that you had. And you realize that the solution is getting back to the basics of simple practices. And I was like, Yes. So I'm hoping today that you can share a few of these practices and how they can help us stay centered amidst all the chaos that life throws at us. Yeah. One of the practices that I do most often is called noticing walks. It's where I go for a walk, but the walk is not a typical walk. I give my brain the job to notice things. So I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not worried about speed walking. My only job is to notice something new, something beautiful. And when I do this, I get so anchored and so grounded that I immediately feel better because all of a sudden, what do I notice? You know, here where I live in Florida in a beach town, it's like, look at that magnolia tree. Oh my gosh. And do you see that hummingbird? And and all of a sudden it's like, you're seeing the world in technicolor. And I developed that practice when I was a busy professor. My my typical schedule was that I would wake up between 4.30 a.m. and 4.45 a.m. so that I could get on the road and work out before work and start being in my office by 7.30 and all those things. And on the day or two a week that I didn't have to be right in the office teaching right away, I would let myself sleep in until 6 a.m. And I would just put a coat over my pajamas and just slip on my boots and go for a walk in our neighborhood. And it's like my brain and my body knew that I just needed to slow down in every area. Like my eyesight just needed to see nature. My body needed to walk slowly. And I just needed the input, the input of goodness and stillness and simplicity. And it just felt so the opposite of like highway commute, stack of 100 college essays from my students that I had to read, emails, phone call. It's it's the antidote 
to that. And so when I lead retreats for women now, one of the first things that we go and do on the beach is we go on noticing walks. And women will come back with all these treasures. And they're like, do you see this driftwood? You know, And they're like, do you see this? Things that they would not have ordinarily seen even on that same beach. They would have sped walked past it. They would have been looking at their phones. And instead, they come away with gratitude. They are enriched in their senses, like Gretchen Rubin's new book about the sensory input that we all need and how grounding and important that is. That's what happens on noticing walks. And it's one of many simple practices that I do in addition to journaling and breath work and just sitting on the couch and reading, which is my another form of meditation. Noticing walks are huge. I like that you call them noticing walks. We interviewed Celeste Headley in the past, and she has a book called Do Nothing. And she challenges her readers to do exactly that, to go for the walks and not just see, but notice. Because a lot of the time we'll go for walks and we'll come back and someone will ask you, oh, what did you see? Oh, I was listening to a podcast. I didn't see anything. But why don't you go for a walk and just go for a walk and just notice? You know, I think a lot of us, we feel the pressure to always have AirPods or something in our ears and just walking down the street and not doing something else at the same time. Like, are you a crazy person? You know, it's so interesting how we identify that way when really there's so much to gain from just going for a walk. Right now, I'm starting to challenge myself to do that right when I wake up. Because I find that I'll, I'll take longer in the morning to get ready. It's like, no, just go for your walk, put on your shoes, go for that little, even if it's 20 minutes, and then you'll feel more refreshed and more excited to get ready for the day. Because I find that lately I've been feeling so tired when I wake up and I was like, how can I break this cycle? I'm spending too much time feeling a little sluggish. Just go for that walk immediately. It, it's my fake morning commute to work, which is great. <laughs> As I told you yes. uh, before this podcast, but yes. at the end of this specific episode on your podcast, what I found really interesting is you, you pose the question, what is saving your life right now. Mm -hmm. So to throw that question back at you, what is saving your life right now? Oh my gosh. Well, and first of all, I can't take credit for that question. It comes from a woman named Barbara Brown Taylor, who's an author. And the what's saving my life right now, oh my gosh, on any different day, on any day it's different, but it always comes back to the simple things. So we have a table on our front porch. We have a big wraparound porch. Our, Our house isn't very big. It's a little beach cottage, but we find after our road trip that we care more about usually the outdoor space. And so we have a table and it's in front of the table is a hummingbird feeder. And so my husband and I, after my husband drops our son off at school, before we both do our work, we sit on the porch on the table. And since my husband's a chef, he cooks the breakfast because it'll turn out better than my, my eggs, my overdone eggs. And we sit and we eat our breakfast and we taste the food. We smell it and we see it and we have our little morning drinks. And as we're sitting and enjoying our coffee and looking out at the hummingbirds, I realize that on the mornings that we don't have the 15, 20 minutes together to talk about what's on our heads, what's on our hearts, my day just isn't the same. So it's like the grounding of nature, the nourishment of a meal, a slow meal, the connection with my partner, that is huge. 
it's really huge. And, and we do the same at night with our son. We have, we always have dinner together. We say, what was your high today? What was your low today? And what are you grateful for? So meeting around a table with loved ones, truly connecting is everything. It's, it's moments of pause and being present with one another, and it really boosts the rest of your day. And it will help you sleep at night, I'm sure, as well. <laughs> yeah, It'll be very helpful. Now, you've, you mentioned that you're going to be either teaching a retreat or going on a retreat where you're not using your phone for seven days. So I'm, I'm curious if you can share more about this. You're a meditation and yoga instructor, and you run your own workshops and meditation retreats. And I'm just curious, what, what is that like? And, and what do your attendees get out of these programs? So because retreats have been so impactful to me as a person, I wanted to start leading them for women because what I found when I go on, I always go on a retreat by myself, meaning like I don't go with a friend. I don't go with anybody else. I'll meet strangers at this retreat because typically it's a group setting, but I go alone. And what I always find is that when I'm on retreat, I remember myself and it's like, oh gosh, when I'm so busy with life, feels like something is missing. What's missing? Why do I feel so off? And it's like, oh, I miss myself. I miss myself because I've been so busy being a mom and a partner and a this and a that. And so when I go on retreat, I spend time with myself. I nourish my relationship with myself. I become reacquainted with her and I remember what an amazing person she is. And so part of that is that when I go on retreat, I set really clear boundaries, not only within my business, but in my personal life that when I'm on retreat... I'll check in once a night with my husband and son for a very short phone call just to kind of make sure everyone and everybody is is doing good and to say I love you. But I put a do not disturb message on my phone. I don't check my email. I stay off of my computer. And I need that so that I don't feel like I have to take care of anyone else or anything else besides my relationship with myself. And so when the women come to my retreats, I lead wellness retreats. I I lead writing retreats. I lead writing and wellness retreats. I always encourage the women to pattern interrupt. I say, Mm -hmm. this is an opportunity to interrupt the bad habits or anything you don't want within these days together. So I encourage them to kind of I say, text and message your people right now. Let them know that they won't be hearing from you as much. It's okay. You're okay. But just set that up right from the start because your priority is reacquainting yourself with yourself. And when it comes to your journaling retreats, do you inspire those attendees to write down their thoughts in order to basically gain some clarity over the fears and uncertainties that are going on in their life? And is that kind of a release for them? Is that a helpful release? Is that your mission there? Yeah. So the journal, so Come Home to Your Heart, my guided journal came out of the prompts that I was teaching, not only at my workshops, but in in former retreats, and then also what I do in my own journal, because I realize it, it's almost like a curriculum. It's like, here, here are the tools and the prompts that help get me most clear the quickest. Here are the tools and prompts that help me address my fears and my uncertainties. And so one of 
the most important ones that I do and that we do and that I have in the journal is the very first chapter. It's a letter from your wiser self. And essentially there, there are five C's where first you create like a ceremony where you sit down with your favorite mug or light your favorite candle or just simply, you know, sit in a spot of sunlight that feels mm-hmm. good to you. So you're creating a physical external change. And then you greet yourself with a really compassionate greeting. So it's like, hi, sweetheart. Hi, honey. And you let your wiser self see you. And so that also means seeing all the fears you have right now, seeing all the uncertainty. So a lot of times it looks like, hi, sweetheart, you're going through it, aren't you? Like you're in a little bit of a murky middle right now. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. So it's bringing awareness to what's going on, acknowledging it. And then there's typically a connection point where it's like, your deepest desire right now is to dot, dot, dot. Your deepest knowing right now is blank, blank, blank. You won't believe the wisdom that's there, but you just didn't listen for it. So the journal creates an act of listening to the self, to the wiser self. So it'll be like, my greatest desire is to, I'll look at what I write for that and I'll be like, I didn't even realize that. Oh, wow. <laughs> or the wisdom that comes out of it. And then there's there's a clearing. And so it'll say, this isn't serving you right now. And getting really clear, your next step is. So by the time this letter is done, and I don't, it can only take five minutes, it doesn't have to take a long time, you're addressing your fears, you're addressing your uncertainties, you're tapping into your deeper wisdom, and then you're giving yourself one next step. There aren't going to be 30. That's not how how wisdom works. It's usually like, here's the next step. And so you go, okay. <laughs> wow. It seems like the perfect mental and emotional cleanse. How long mm. do these retreats go for? So they can last anywhere from three and a half days to five and a half to six days. Um, I typically lead uh, one every winter here in Florida and uh, we're in the 30A area of Florida. And so it's like seeing that emerald water is just gorgeous. And then during the summer, typically in June, late May, early June, uh, we head back to the Midwest for a little bit to see my family. And so we'd lead mm-hmm. one in a really precious place to us called Door County, Wisconsin, which is just lakes and, and forests. And my husband, I host it. My husband cooks for it. And <laughs> people do not go hungry at these retreats. <laughs> and then I do typically two more, one per quarter in different locations around the U.S., like Last year, I led one in California in wine country, which was stunning, you know, so I try to pick places that are beautiful and have nature all around them. Wow. You and your husband are the perfect pairing. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. Like, you know, I'm leading the workshops and doing the things and come mealtime though, the women are like, who are you? Where's Jamie? (laughs) Yeah. That's hilarious. Oh gosh, they sound so relaxing and just so important, so vital. I'm I'm sure a lot of your attendees come out of these experiences, out of these retreats, just feeling 
so refreshed and clear headed. And that's so important. I know there's meditation and yoga involved as well and good food. Gosh, it sounds amazing. I, I honestly feel like that's the perfect vacation. You know, it's interesting how we're like, oh, we got to go on vacation. We got to use our vacation days, but sometimes people don't use them because the idea of going on vacation is stressful. This is the perfect vacation. <laughs> well, it's all taken care of. That's what I want it to feel like where it's like we've picked, I like done deep research. I've picked the place the meals are made for you here. The curriculum is there and you can, you know, if there's a time when you're tired, you can opt out and take a nap in your room. So it's like, it's all set up. All you have to do is commit. And because I don't know about you, but some vacations I've taken and planned, I feel more exhausted after the vacation. Mm -hmm. yep. So for me, the most replenishing vacations are actually retreats where I'm going somewhere everything is taken care of for me and I can concentrate on myself. Mm -hmm. And feel refreshed at the end, not feel like you have to yeah. go on vacation after your vacation. So yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So to close our conversation today, I have a few rapid fire questions for you to inspire our listeners to continue to simplify their lives and live with greater intention. First question is, what is one habit that you carry out each day to keep your physical things in order? So there's, I give myself a five minute window at 8.30 every morning when my husband has left the house and I'm about to come to my work desk. And in that window, I make our bed and I just go around and clear off all the communal spaces, the dining room table, the coffee table, and my work desk. And so it's like, I feel like my brain can't function until those things are clear. And then I digitally go in and clear as well. I close down any tabs I don't need that might be up from the day before. I put my phone on airplane mode and it's just like, okay, now I can do my work. <laughs> Yeah, because this lifestyle is very much focused on habit building. There's usually systems in place to help you maintain this lifestyle. So that's that's yeah. very interesting. I love that. That sounds similar to my night routine. Now, what is one wellness practice that you carry out each day to keep centered? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's 3 p.m. chill time. So I pick up our son from school at 2.30 and we chat the whole way home and we're catching up on his day and then we'll come back home and he has a snack and we'll, we'll sit on the couch and catch up some more. And then without fail, usually by around three o'clock or 3.15, he wants alone time. He's, you know, he's had a full school day load. And so he wants to go read or play Legos or chill before he has he goes to karate class later. And so it creates this little afternoon window where I can feel, I can feel that my brain is just crowded with a million things from the, the workday, good things, but many things. And so, um, I will either go in my nest chair. We have a chair in my backyard, um, that hangs from a tree. That's like a half dome and I can curl up in it. I either sit there or on a little couch on our porch and just lie down. And I either listen to the birds, I look at the trees, we have beautiful oak trees. And, um, and it's just, I can feel uh, like, like my brain is like sand settling down. Mm. Like it's been stirred up and then it just, I can physically feel my brain just kind of going, 
powering down in the best way. Sometimes I do breath work. Sometimes I read, but that like 3 p.m. chill time for a half hour, it allows me to reset for then the the next part of the day. Mm. My mom just bought one of these bean chairs. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're, Mm -hmm. they're, (laughs) they're really cute. Anyways, I was laying on it this weekend. I was like, wow, this is so peaceful. This would be my moment of pause every day. I just, I have my couch that I do that on, but, uh, or I go for coffee for 10 minutes, but it's always nice to have those breaks and specifically making time for them in your calendar as well. Cause a lot of the time we'll just run right through it and then we'll feel exhausted. So it's a way to avoid burnout as well. Now to end our conversation, can you share a few words with our listeners to help them realize the benefits that come with living with less? Mm, right away. Clarity, 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 clarity. <laughs> the less stuff provides spaciousness, which provides clarity. And, and I've been thinking that on my own, but after listening to you and Lauren talk and listening to your episodes, I know this is exactly what you preach as well. Everybody talks about following their hearts, but mm-hmm. they're missing a key step, which is first they have to listen to the directions and desires of their hearts. And how do you do that if your brain and your body is so overwhelmed? It, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. So nope. less clutter in all areas creates more space, which creates more clarity. Mm-hmm. We are very aligned there. And I'm so happy that I was able to finally share your story with our listeners today. Similar to your listenership, our listeners love to hear the stories of other people who have started to simplify their lives and how they're managing their lives since decluttering their lives of things, because there's a lot of maintenance involved in this lifestyle. So I want to thank you so much for really opening up. And I want to remind our listeners to check out your podcast because it is so calming and your stories are just so enlightening and you make me feel like I'm not alone when I listen to your podcast, which is really nice. And again, it's called Heart of the Story. I'll include it in the show notes, but where can our listeners find more about you as well as your retreats? Thank you so much. I love finding a kindred spirit and you are one. Everything is through my name. So my website is nadinekennyjohnstone.com. My Instagram is nadinekennyjohnstone. Those are the two places that I am the most. And of course, I'm on Heart of the Story. And then my book, Come Home to Your Heart, is available through Amazon, Bookshop, Barnes & Noble, you know, all the places. Incredible. And uh, if I'm ever in Florida, which I usually am, so I will, I'll let you know. Oh, I'd love to meet oh, you in person. It would be great to meet in person. <laughs> we can go for a walk on the beach without our phones. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be fully present. Be a dream. I love it. A Zen walk. Well, thanks so much again. And I'll speak with you soon. Aw, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you for listening. That was my conversation with Dean Kenny Johnstone, who is a holistic writing coach, yoga and meditation teacher, podcaster, and acclaimed author. And you can find a link to Nadine's book called Come Home to Your Heart and her podcast, Heart of the Story, and more in our show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please send it to a friend or share it on Instagram or Facebook and tag us at Millennial Minimalist and Nadine at Nadine Kenny Johnstone. Or if you haven't already, please kindly share a kind rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We love reading your words and your reviews help us bring on more exciting guests like Nadine. 
And as always, you can learn more about us on our website at mastersimplicity.com, where you can also find our closet decluttering e-guide, our one-on-one closet courses with Lauren, and links to discounts from our brand partners. So thanks again for listening, and I will speak with you soon. Bye-bye.